Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, as, as we jump into the message today, uh, just, I know we just heard some announcements, but just two more things. You may have gotten an email this week um, about some areas uh, of service needed, and so just want to bring those to your attention real quick. The two areas, one is uh, like safety and security, and so what that means is is preparing for us to gather on Sunday mornings in worship. It's a group of folks, our team, uh, head, uh, headed up by Amy, who just walks around the building, makes sure everything's safe and secure so that, you know, as we gather to worship, you know, no, no worries or, or thoughts about security, safety there, especially our, our kids' ministry area. Um, so if you're interested in just helping create, a, like, a safe environment for us to be here in worship, what well, that means just... Anything from hanging out outside, you know, patrolling the hallways, making sure everything's safe and sound, uh, please reach out to Amy. You can email her at, at amy at fellowshipashfield.com. And then the second area is with our preschoolers. Now, how many of you personally know a preschooler? Then you are qualified to serve in kids' ministry, okay? <laughs> Guys, listen, we, we believe... Uh, we believe that Jesus was onto something when the only group of people that he said, do not hinder them from coming to me were children. Okay, were little ones small enough to sit on his lap and be picked up. And so if you have any interest in planting seeds of the gospel in the hearts of little ones, uh, email Stephanie or Carol. That's Stephanie at fellowshipashville.com, Carol at fellowshipashville.com. It's not a huge commitment. Like once every, every month, potentially that's 12 times in an entire year or like just once every other month would be great or if you're like hey my schedule's busy I can't commit to like a monthly schedule but I'm willing to go through the like you know go through the background check process go through the training so that I can be a substitute if someone wakes up Sunday morning and is sick and can't whatever anything at all if you're willing to be involved to help with the with the preschool kids ministry reach out to Carol reach out to Stephanie it would be greatly appreciated so that our little ones uh, can learn I've got two kids one just moved up into kindergarten uh, my other one Abigail she's turning three on Saturday she's the little if you stay around long enough after church she's a little squeaky one with the pink glasses goggles and for the last few weeks she has been talking about the story that she learned in fellowship in, in the preschool ministry talking about Jonah and the well and how he prayed and God saved him and so if you have an interest in helping out with cute little squeaky kids with cute glasses learning stories about Jesus and how God redeems us and rescues us serving kids ministry okay so so if they don't get between 12 and 15 emails saying that you're going to serve in kids' ministry. I'm just going to do this again next week, and, and we'll just keep doing it. But um, Okay, great. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians. It's a letter in the New Testament in the, uh, in the, in the book of Colossians. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote. This is week three of a 12-week study uh, where we're looking at this, this letter that Paul wrote to a young church in an ancient uh, city in, in the Roman Empire. And uh, we're, today we're looking at verses 15 through 23. And so I'm going to read those verses for us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the sermon today. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by God's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Father, thank you for your word, and Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Anybody ever do any online shopping? Anybody? Anybody get more than two packages in the mail a week? It's okay. All right. We're, it's the safe zone here. Okay. This is confession time. Anybody more than four a week? Okay. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Now, I'm not talking about you individually as a household. All right. Let's say as a household, four, a week, four or more a week. Okay. All right. There's a few of us that are honest in here. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever done any online shopping and uh, the picture that you see is very different from the product that you get? Yeah, I, I recently had that happen to me. I'm, I'm a big note taker. I have to write stuff down or I forget it. I have like two or three different notebooks that I just leave kind of in major areas of my life to just jot down ideas and stuff. And a few years ago, uh, the company Moleskin was doing like limited edition for, for nerdy people like me. So there was like a special edition, like whole thing for Star Wars where it had like the Death Star on it or like an X-Wing fighter. And then there was a Lord of the Rings, which I was especially hyped up about. So, so, I, so I found a notebook and I have a very specific kind of notebook I like. I like the extra large college ruled hardcover. Okay. And, and sometimes even like finding those specifics can can be hard, but, but I found this notebook and it was perfect. And I was like, this is gonna be great. It'll be my new prayer journal. It's time, I need one of those. And so I ordered it and I was waiting. It was back ordered. It finally came through and I got it in the mail. And so just as a picture, this is what I like. Okay, so this is like my standard for, for writing. I was so excited. I had to wait like four months from the time I put in the order for this one little notebook to come. And what came in the mail after all the anticipation was this. Okay. This is what came in the mail. So it was a little disheartening, right? A, a little frustrating that, that, you know, I waited so long. The picture showed it with the measurements. You know what I'm saying? Like it showed everything right. I thought it was it. And it came and it was just totally wrong. And see, the pictures in our heads, the images of how we think something will look or should look will affect, right, our satisfaction, our happiness, our contentment that we find in the things that we have, like, like this, thinking it was gonna be this, led to two very different excitement levels, right? And because it was limited edition and because of the website I ordered it off of, there were no returns, okay? So that made it a little different too. See, see I think growing up, all of us have ideas and images of our mind of what life would look like, right? Whether that's our career, whether that's family, whether that's marriage, 
You know, maybe you had an idea of what your life would look like at certain kind of century benchmarks. Man, when I'm, when I'm, by the time I'm, you know, 30, I'll have this and I'll be here. By the time I'm 40, I'll have this and I'll be here and I'll have these things, right? I'll have a family, I'll have marriage, I'll have, you know, these beautiful kids, I'll have this great career where I'm able to afford these side gigs that give me what all millennials dream of, the expendable income, right? And like the passive income, I'll have that going for me, I'll be a real estate mogul by then, I'll have all these rental, like we have all these dreams, ambitions, But when what we receive is different than the image that we have in our head, it can be discombobulating. It can be confusing. And pressing in a little deeper and closer to home in the scripture for today, maybe you were given an image of life with Jesus growing up. Like maybe maybe you didn't grow up in church. And and the idea of following Jesus was just like hard rules and shame and fear and anger and this like resentment because it took your family away from home so often. And then as you grow older, maybe you meet Jesus and you realize, man, the Jesus that's real and the Jesus that presents himself in scripture is a totally different, more beautiful, compelling vision than what I was given. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you were given a, an image of Jesus that was, that was like, a, like an iron-fisted ruler where, where might and power came through political, military might. And we had to fight against the culture and the world that we live in. And, and we have to be separate. We can't, we can't get near those people. And you, and you kind of grow up with a better-than mentality where I have to be better than the people I come in contact with who maybe don't know Jesus. And then once again, you meet the Jesus that we read about in Scripture. And it's Jesus that's meek and humble. And he tells Peter to put the sword away. And he says, no, I've not come to establish an earthly kingdom, but I've I've come to bring heaven down to earth. And and the vision of Jesus that, that that you're actually given is much more compelling and real. And see, what we have today in this letter, just by way of reminder, is that Paul's writing to a young church in an ancient city who pretty soon after their establishment by a man named Epaphras who heard the gospel in Ephesus, he traveled back. There were church leaders who were hosting and pastoring group home churches, like he mentions Nympha and uh, Eutychus and things like that. And, and, um, and, Pretty soon into the formation of this young church, there's false teaching that comes in. It's, it's like this kind of hyper-spiritual, mystical Judaism that's, that's taking Jesus from his supreme role in like headship in the church to this lower kind of level playing field with angels and different deities and things like that. And so what Paul is doing in the letter at large, but what he kind of sets the tone in the letter is, is, a, is a theology and a doctrine of who Jesus is and he's reminding the Colossians of who Jesus is. And so, so what we have today in, in this passage is we have Paul giving the Colossian church a clear image of who Jesus is, what he's done, and how we respond. So those are the three things we're going to talk through today. Who Jesus is, what he's done, and how he should respond. So, so Paul kind of sets the tone. He kind of he sets this passage of Scripture with an outline given by the two phrases in verse 15. He says that, that the Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all of creation. Now, those two phrases uh, may not like, like hit that hard home to us, 
But for Paul, especially writing in a context that would have been heavily influenced by Judaism and the Old Testament theology, which is what all the foundation of all of the New Testament, what, what he does is, is that he's using two like word pictures that would have been very real in their, in their creative, redemptive imagination. The, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all of creation. And so what Paul does is he kind of he sets those two phrases and then he gives a, a flow of logic and thought that goes from creation to new creation. That, go, that goes from creation to, to creation that's been redeemed and reconciled back to God. And so we're, what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of parse out those two phrases, the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all of creation, because the other verses following kind of fall into those two things. Right, so, so when Paul says the image of the invisible God, he, it's kind of like, you know, you're on a web page and you clip a hyperlink and it takes you to an original source, like if you're reading a news article or something. That's kind of what a phrase like this in the Bible is. It's kind of like a hyperlink. And so, you know, if, if this was digital and, and he wrote an email to the Colossians and there's a high, you click on it and it would have gone all the way back to Genesis the very beginning, the creation of, of, of humanity, where it says that humanity was made in God's image. And so the rest of the Bible, all throughout, Adam and Eve, Adam, it, we translate it and know it as a proper name in Genesis in the Hebrew. It literally means Adam, it's humanity. So it's humanity is the son of God. It's God's firstborn son. And we kind of follow that logic through the scriptures because in Genesis 5, it says that Adam has a son, Seth, and that Seth was his image. Okay, so, so in, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, calling someone, you know, they would say that the son is the image of the father, that the child, the offspring is an image of the father, which we know like kind of makes sense. We just talk about it nowadays in modern English as genetics, Right? But we say that like, man, you're so much like your, your parents. Man, you look like, I get it all that like, you look just like your dad. I get that all the time, right? Or, or not even necessarily genetics, but we say that all the time. Like, man, you have the same mannerisms. The way you said that word sounded just like your parents. Anybody ever gotten something like that? It's, it's just the way we were created that, that we bear the image of the parents who birthed us or raised us. And so the flow of logic is that, that the offspring of someone's their image. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve being made in the image of God. So then for Paul to say that Jesus, isn't this interesting? He's the image of the invisible God. Okay, who here can draw a picture of something invisible? It's an interesting turn of phrase, right? Because he doesn't say that Jesus is an image of God, does he? He says he's an image of the invisible God. So which is it? Is he an image or is he not an image? How can he be an image if God's invisible? Well, what Paul's doing is that, that he's, he's, he's making kind of like a turn of phrase. He's kind of, he's kind of switching the logic on, on what would have been that kind of Jewish Old Testament theology. By saying that he's the image of the invisible God, what he's saying is that Jesus has a unique position in creation. Because while Adam was created in God's image, Jesus is the image of God because he just simply is. Because Jesus has always been existed. He was never created. The, the Greek word that's used for image is the word 
in Greek, I'm going to see, we'll do a little translation here, see if y'all can figure out the English word. The Greek word is icon. Okay, so English word would be icon, right? An icon is something that, that represents something that's real, but it's a little more than that because it's saying that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, right? You couldn't say that about Adam and Eve, You can't say that necessarily about humans because humans oftentimes, at least I'm speaking for myself, do not reflect the character and image of God in my life, right? But Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. It's saying that there is no like standard that he was based off of when he was made because he has always been. Jesus is the blueprint for all of creation. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, and he is the head of the body. Oh, sorry, that's 18. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. See where Adam was the first human created, and kind of set the tone and the blueprint for the rest of humanity. Jesus is the blueprint for all of creation. He is the way that things should be if things were working the way God made them. Jesus is the standard. He's the icon for how we should live and treat one another. Right, if you ever wonder why the world we live in is so broken, why politicians are so corrupt, it's because they want a kingdom without the king if you wonder why pain, hunger, addiction, misguided sexual attractions, etc., all the things in life happen, it's because we can't live that perfect life the way that God made it to reflect his image. If you wonder why there's pain caused by those who are supposed to love us, why there's hurt where there should be healing, it's because we were made to live in a world where Jesus is the standard, where he is the image, the icon for all of creation, where his image, meaning looking like, like Jesus, relating to God and other people the way that it was made to be, where, where it's the rule and not the exception, where we live in a world, and even we may find in our own lives sometimes that living like Jesus is often more the exception than the rule. But we know humans have done what we've always done, left our own terms, right? We've tried to have a world in our image. We've tried to take what God has created and mold it and morph it into what we want it to look like. The problem is that anything outside of God's design for human flourishing goes horribly wrong. And it started in the Garden of Eden. We we just recently, with my five-year-old Cora, we just started doing Legos which is a huge turning point. This is where dads really start to step up their game and contribute to the, to the life cycle of our children. Uh, Legos are fantastic tools for all of us. Um, and it's been fun because, so I grew up doing Legos, but Legos now are much more sophisticated and beautiful, and there's a lot more options. Like, like I have an older sister, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar growing up with like little girl toys and stuff. Uh, but I've, I've never put together more like kitty unicorn castles with Legos in my whole life than I have in the last few months. So we've been doing that with Cora. But what's funny is, what's, you know, you see the picture on the box 
of the way it's supposed to look. And it's this cute, you know, water fountain of rainbows, and then there's a, you know, little kitty with a tiara on, and there's this castle and everything, and it's this, like, cute little picture. But what's funny is when we don't follow the directions, and, when, and I just let Cora have her way with it, it looks like a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? Like, it looks totally bizarre and, and off from what it's supposed to look like. And, and I think that with us, that's the way we live, and that's the way we found ourselves in life, is we've been given this design for human flourishing in the way God created things. And, it, and it's become so to where we even can't use that language anymore, because we live in a culture that says, if you disagree with me or make me uncomfortable, you must be wrong. Whereas God says, no, no, no. And Jesus says, no, I, actually, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. See, this kind of the great lie of our age, self-actualization, if I have the job I want, if I have the life I want, if the image that I have for my future comes true, then I'll be able to be my true self and I'll find happiness and joy and I'll be actualized. And the reality is we follow a savior that says, no, actually, actually you have to deny yourself. And he says, actually, if you, if you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. And you have to put others ahead of yourself. And, it, and it, it's a totally countercultural thing, but what happens is how we end up in the world that we live in. And it's not like now is worse than any other period in human history. Let's not be historically like ignorant, right? Like, in, like, like there was a New York Times article that was written a few years ago, and it said 2021 was the worst year in human history. Okay? And then that got me thinking, What's actually been the worst year of human history? Because for me personally, there's a lot of good stuff that happened, you know? So I Googled it, and in like 536 AD, there was a worldwide hurricane. There were multiple volcanoes that erupted and, and clouded the entire known world in, in, uh, in cloud and dust for like six to nine months. There was a plague that broke out, and there was like an, 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 an algae thing that broke out in the majority of, this, of the Mediterranean Sea and killed the majority of fish that, that the, the entire economy and diet was based off of. So like literally worldwide, it was the worst year of humanism. Like it was actually the worst. You should look it up. It's crazy to think about what we complain about nowadays like compared to that stuff. But, but the problem, we, we end up in a world that's like it is because we have the icon, the image of how things are supposed to be, but we trade it out all the time. We trade out the glory we were made to have for a counterfeit glory. Like Paul said, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the reality of who Jesus is, because Jesus is who he is, it's why he was able to accomplish what he did. Look at verses 19 and 20 again. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things back to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, not only is Jesus the blueprint for creation, the first creation, but he's also the blueprint and the architect of the new creation when all things are reconciled back to God. And so what we can know is, is that redemption is as glorious as Jesus is. 
Redemption is as glorious as Jesus is. And so let me say why that's good news. It's good news because redemption is not as good as the church service as we find on Sunday morning. This is not the standard for how good life with Jesus is. Reconciliation, redemption is not as good as your feelings feel about Jesus today, right? Like how many of us wake up every single day and we're like, I am just ready to pray kingdom down on earth. Like I'm ready to share the good news of Jesus because I have been kind to others and I have portrayed the character of God to the people I come in contact with every day. How many of you, that's your baseline? Aren't you glad that the redemption that we experience and know isn't based on us, based on the people we come in contact with, but it's based on as glorious as Jesus is, the way that creation, all of creation will be made new, the way that you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus are being made new, it's as glorious as the image of Jesus is. That's why those verses of scripture like like hit so hard and stick with us that every tear will be wiped away, pain will be no more. I love it, it talks about the new creation in, in Isaiah and in Revelation, it talks about the lion will lay down with the lamb and children are gonna play with deadly snakes. That's just crazy to think about. But that's beautiful, like no more will humans live their life at the expense of another person's life, whether that's through war, oppression, social injustice, marginalization, no more of that. Every tear will be wiped away. So if you've ever like found yourself wondering how being saved is supposed to affect life now, like maybe you grew up in a, in a church culture or a culture at large where it's like, you know, it's almost like salvation is like you pray a prayer, you buy fire insurance from hell, and then you just kind of wait it out until you die, and then you get the good stuff. Like, like if, that, if you're wondering, like, Matt, that sounds good, but you're talking, like, you're, I'm using language of salvation and redemption, new creation now, and that's on purpose. It's because it's true. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. That's what that means. Like, your redemption can happen here on earth now. You are being made new if you've placed your faith in Jesus. And your vision, okay, so the vision and the image that you have of who Jesus is will determine how, like, it will determine the vision of how the redemptive plays out in your life. So here's what I mean. Like, if you aren't sure if Jesus is able to actually heal, then you will rarely anticipate or pray for God to heal in your life or the ones that you love. Like if, like if it's hard for you to accept the reality that Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead, like was actually dead and in a tomb for three days and then physically, literally rose from the dead, then it's gonna be really hard to think about a real Jesus who can mend broken relationships and has any part of our physical life now. And that's what you're gonna get, really, is a half-hearted attempts at redemption. Now, this is not like a name it and claim it gospel where you're like, okay, I believe, you know, you give lip service, I believe Jesus did stuff, so you better heal me. Because we haven't experienced the full new creation yet, but it's knowing that the Jesus who said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. Like, how would that change our prayer lives if we believed that? If you ask anything in my name, it'll be done for you. That that Jesus is the image of God, that he's the blueprint for how things should be in life. So if you're in a situation where life is not working the way it should, 
I hope to give you some hope that the Jesus that we're reading about and proclaim and worship, he is the measure and the standard and the, and the picture of redemption that you can experience in your life. That's why I'm convinced that God still heals now. Not every time. It's not like a surefire name it and claim it thing. But it's also why I'm convinced to pray. Because I think when Jesus told his disciples to pray, pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Us getting a clear like compelling vision of God's redemption through Jesus in our minds and our hearts, it changes the way we pray. It changes the way we look for how God is working in the world around us and join him in that. And it's not, it's not easy for me. Like I have to work really hard to keep like a beautiful, glorious vision of Jesus in my mind and my heart. So if, if we need some more convincing... Let's look at the second phrase that, that, that Paul used to describe Jesus, that he's the firstborn over all of creation. So, so this doesn't mean that Jesus was created first. Once again, just, just a reminder, it doesn't mean it was created first. But what it means is he's, he's using the Old Testament uh, Hebrew Bible way to explain the one who's been given the birthright who's been given the, the birthright, right? And all throughout scripture, there's, there's a, a theme that kind of runs through scriptures where the, the latecomer or the secondborn actually ends up taking the, the right and the position of privilege of the firstborn within the family. So in the Old Testament uh, patriarchal society, it was the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance. Okay, everybody else was just kind of left to thin for themselves. The oldest son was given that portion. But it wasn't always the case that the first like actual in birth order son received that blessing, right? Like, like any Bible trivia, you get Jesus, five Jesus points for this. Can anybody think of a story in the Old Testament where there was a, not the firstborn son who received the blessing of the family? Isaac? Yeah, yeah. Who else? Jacob? Who else? Anybody? The nation Israel, right? God created a people, the human race, but then he later chose a new person to take the blessing of God into the world around him, right? Jacob, David over Saul, right? Saul was the king that was chosen first, but then he came and he took a late comer, a second comer to do that, right? Abel was exalted over Cain. You know, the church of Jesus, those who have placed our faith in Jesus, we have come after Israel in the story of redemption, and yet God has, has given us the blessings on and on and on. So when it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, what it's saying is that Jesus has a special place of preeminence and supremacy, even though he came when he did in human history, after thousands of generations had already lived life on this earth. Here comes Jesus and was given that special place. And here's why, verse 18 it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. So it's not because Jesus was a good teacher. It's not because he was just a good, moral, upright guy. It's not even because of the sinless life that he lived, why he was given that status of firstborn. The reason why he was given that firstborn is because of his resurrection. 
It's because in human history, he was the first person ever able to figure out conquering death on his own. We've never been able to do that. With all of our medical advances, with all of our intellectual pursuits, with all of our, our, our life that we've created to try to live as long as possible, we have not been able to figure out death. It still has a 100% rate. But then there's Jesus, right? And here's how the resurrection makes him supreme. Look, look, at, look at verses 21 and 22. It says that once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because or as shown by, proven by your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So we know that humans have made a mess of things. Right? We know that through scripture, we know that through life experience, we know that through the decisions we've made and hurt the people around us. See, all humans prove the reality that we sin. So how does the world get a fresh start? How can we be reconciled back to a God? It's by taking the one who did not deserve the penalty for our sin. Right? Sin is a, is a foreign agent in God's good world that he created. And God's plan since sin entered the world was to get it back out. But the way to do that was to become a human himself, show us and prove to us the life that we should live. And then he died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins. But then he rose from the grave, proving once and for all that it's possible that those who place their faith in Jesus will experience new life. That's why when we, when we baptize people here, we say, dead to sin, raised to walk in newness of life. It's a physical image of what Jesus has done for us in a, in a reality that goes far beyond just spiritual. So how we live differently, it's by giving, being given new life. It's by being reconciled, meaning that we were separated from God. We were far from God, but reconciliation happens when there's a relationship that was wrong was made right. And so we'd be reconciled to life with God here as it is in heaven. And so what do we know? We know that redemption is as beautiful as Jesus is because this ugly life is made beautiful. And in my little girl's story, Jesus storybook Bible, I love that it says, it says, when Jesus comes back to make all wrong things right. See, life apart from God, enemies with him, made right by Jesus' physical bodily resurrection. And what's hard is believing that. Like, it, like it's hard to take time to actually process the literal physical body of Jesus. But it's so central because that's the way, that's the proof that God is redeeming and reconcile all things, right? Like if Jesus can be raised from the dead, here's what Paul said. Paul said in Romans 8, he said that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I've made a mess of life but I know that you've come and made it, made it possible not only for me to be forgiven, but for me to live a life in your image, that you've come to make all wrong things right in my, in my world, in my life. I want 
to follow you. I believe in you. I believe in your life, death, and resurrection. We receive the Holy Spirit, and that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So let me ask, what do you think is beyond God's redemption? Like, what in your life do you think is beyond the power of the, of the God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave you that same spirit? What in your life are you having a hard time letting the image and the beauty of the redemption of Jesus outweigh that? Like, I'm a big believer in therapy and in counseling and in medical help, all of that. There are some of us in here who just need an encounter with the Holy Spirit and who need to step into the life of faith that God is redeeming you and reconciling you, that God is at work now. And so, so how do we respond? We saw who Jesus is. We know what Jesus has done for us. How do we respond? Verses 23, verse 23 says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel, the good news that you've heard, and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So for many of us, we hear something like this. We read this passage. We hear about all the beautiful things Jesus has done, the reality of who Jesus is. We're getting that clear image in our mind. And then we read that word, if you. And we immediately start to feel shame and feel guilt. And we feel a burden that we shouldn't feel. Because we hear the Bible say things like this, if you do this. And what we immediately start doing is thinking of the ways we haven't done that. At least that, that's for me. But I, but I love the way that it says, if you continue in your faith, right? If you continue in your faith, it doesn't say if you continue to be perfect. It doesn't say if you keep reading your Bible every day and don't miss a day and you get through the Bible in a year and, and you write a full journal. It doesn't say if you continue to do the good works. It doesn't say any of that. It says if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Listen, our job is to believe what we believe and let our actions flow out of that. Like if we believe what we believe and we let this image, this icon, the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us take such a strong hold and root in our minds and in our hearts, we will change. But let me free you up your job. You can change every behavior in your life. Every bad behavior, every bad habit, every wrong mindset, you can change to look right and you can still not have an image of Jesus and not be following Jesus. Paul is not after behavioral modification here. He's after us becoming so gripped by the reality of who Jesus is that we can't help but be changed. That's what Paul's going for here. Because what's the hope of the gospel? It's like we just said, that Jesus set you free from sin. Death is no longer an issue anymore. Right? Jesus, he rose from the grave, making it not just like possible or plausible to be made new, but he made it to where it's actually like a necessity. Where we now have his Holy Spirit living in us. And there's no more condemnation, but there's freedom and there's life. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is making us new and that he's going to come back one day. 
So that while we feel this tension of the reality of the new creation of Jesus and his spirit living in us, but the fact that we still live in this broken world and we say, Jesus, please come back and make it new. He's going to come back one day and make it new. And we get to experience that with him. It's everything that Paul has just said. It's what Jesus has done. It's what he's done for you. And so is there responsibility on our end? Yes, our job is to take the blessing that God has given us and take it to the world around us. See, Jesus did this, and we let him change us from the inside out. So when it talks about continuing your faith, being you know, established and firm, not moving, that's the word of faithfulness. And faithfulness is a practice of applying the righteousness of Jesus. That's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is instead of white-knuckle gripping yourself into some kind of uniform, cultural Christianity, it's saying, no, no, I'm going to believe what I believe and I'm going to be faithful to that. I'm going to be faithful to Jesus today because I know what Jesus has done for me. See, let's remember why Paul's writing this letter again. He, he, he's writing that false, teachers, false teaching is pulling followers of Jesus away from a life centered on the reality of, of the redemption found in Jesus and what he's done. And so let, let me just ask, as we kind of close today, is there anything pulling you away from that life with Jesus? That, that image of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, is there something clouding your vision? Is there, is there something that's, to use the metaphor of the online shopping, is there something that's making you look for more than who Jesus is? That, that, that maybe you feel like the picture of Jesus that you've been given isn't enough? See, our faith is a, is a heritage, full thousands of generations, of God doing the unthinkable for the unlovable and bringing them into a family with a glorious inheritance. See, Paul's using these Old Testament languages and metaphors and phrases because, our, because memory of what God has done is the fuel of hope of what God can do. I love what Habakkuk says. He says, Lord... I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. So, Lord, repeat them in my day. In my time, make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy. So as we end today, just kind of a few action steps. Like, okay, that's, this is great, but how do we apply this? Like, how do we actually live this out? How do I make the vision of Jesus so compelling to me day in and day out? Here's the, here's the first thing is, is win the day, all right, win, win the day. Like, here's what I mean by that. Turn off the noise, like literally turn your cell phone off, put it in another room, no screens, no noise, read a passage of scripture, set a timer for 10 minutes and just sit in silence with God. I, like, there's all this like data that's come out about noise pollution now. We live in the noisiest, busiest, most opinionated time in human history. Do you know that one page of the New York Times has more information on it than someone in the 1700s would have come in contact with their entire life? And we're reading newspapers and listening to podcasts and watching Instagram influencers more than we're spending time listening for the voice of God. So if you don't know where to start, I'd be more than happy to send you a schedule that I do. You read through the Psalms in a month, just like two or three in the morning, two or three at night, 
set a timer for 10 or 15 minutes and just sit with God and let God speak to you. The second way, and the, the band's going to come up, we're going to respond to worship and worship. Another way that we lose sight, our vision of Jesus, is when we refuse to confess our sins. When we choose to walk unknown. Okay, we were made to be known. We were made to be in relationship. But when, it, when we choose to walk in the unknown, it's hard to find healing. All right, James wrote, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Okay, that's redemption language. Healing comes through repentance and confession. And so here's what we're gonna do in a minute. We're gonna, we're gonna pray as we close out. We're gonna pray a prayer of confession together as a church. We've done it a few times in the last month or so. And then I'm gonna pray for us, but I'm gonna encourage you, if, if there is some sin in your life that's unconfessed, it's important to give that to God, but there's something real like powerful about meeting with someone trusted and saying it out loud to the other person. And that's gonna be a big hard step for some of us, but I'm just gonna ask you, is that vision of Jesus and his redemption powerful enough to call you into grace and hope and a life free of sin? So here's what we're gonna do. Let's stand up together. John, sorry, it's the slide at the beginning of the sermon. Yep. We're gonna, we're gonna pray this prayer out loud. If you want this prayer to have with you through the week, I'm more than happy to send it to you. You can email me. But we're gonna pray this out loud to God, and then I'm gonna pray over us as we respond to, to the word of God that, that, that we just read and studied. So let's pray this together. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I'm truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Jesus, thank you for your salvation, for your life, for your death, your resurrection, and that we here on earth don't have to sit around and wait for the hope. God, there is a future hope coming. We know that there's a day where Jesus will come back and rule on earth and make all wrong things right finally and fully. But God, we know that we can live on this earth walking in eternal life. You, Jesus, you prayed and you said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus, we know you. So as we seek to live into that life that you've made possible for us by your life, death, and resurrection, meet us there. Help us become more like you so that we can see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, as we take the goodness and the good news and the hope of the gospel to those around us. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.